I have uh, three verses, three favorite verses. They've been favorite verses of mine for a long time that I kind of anchor to, that I kind of hold on to, especially when I'm not liking life. Have you ever had a moment like that where you just didn't care for a whole lot for what life had to offer? Maybe once or twice. I, three verses that I anchor to. Genesis fifty twenty. What you meant for evil. Boy, isn't that good news? Whatever this week throws at you. Whatever last week threw at you that was just wrong. It was just evil. Let me tell you something. Doesn't matter what situation, what person threw that. What they meant for evil, God means for good. God can pick it up and use it. Psalm 138, verse 8. The Lord will... Not might, not can, not hopefully will. God will fulfill his purpose for me. And then Romans chapter 8 verse 28 is kind of the, the center of what we're looking at today. We know that God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love God. Those who are called according to his purpose. I have a favorite character in the Bible. He, to me, is just one of the most intriguing characters, the one I want to pull aside. I just, how did you do it? How did you do it? Just, just questions for him and his faith. And that's the person of Joseph. You might know his story. It's told in Genesis 37 to 50. Genesis, big book of the Bible, one-fourth of that book is about the life of Joseph that is told there. Uh, and his life is an amazing portrayal of those verses that we just looked at. As a matter of fact, Genesis 50, 20 is his words. It was Joseph that said, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. You might remember Joseph as the dreamer, uh, the guy who had the coat of many colors. Remember that on the flannel graph board in Sunday school? Had that coat of many colors. Joseph was the 11th of 12 brothers. And uh, the 10 brothers in front of them, well, they, uh, so what would be the best word? Hated Joseph. I mean, really hated Joseph. And, and really, that was not as much about Joseph. It was about dad. Jacob, who we also know as Israel, uh, Jacob showed some real favoritism uh, on Joseph's life. And that, that got, you know, that sibling rivalry, it got up under the brothers. And they, they really didn't care for Joseph much for that reason. Well, God comes to Joseph when he is 17 years old. And, and, and comes to him in some dreams and basically reveals, man, I'm going to use your life. I'm going to use your life to lead this family, to protect this family, to provide for this family. Now, when you hear the word family, this family is in transition to becoming a nation. And so that's kind of what God is laying before Joseph. It reminds me of the old gospel presentation. Any of y'all familiar with the four spiritual laws? And it, and it opens up by saying, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Man, as I open up Genesis 37, that's kind of what I see God saying to Joseph. Joseph, man, I've got great plans for your life. Now, as you turn the page and start to read the story, it doesn't sound like a wonderful plan. As a matter of fact, the next event in Joseph's life, we find that his brothers are plotting his murder. I mean, folks, I wasn't kidding when I said they don't like him. They're actually plotting, killing, murdering their own brother. Well, one brother, kind of with a cool head, kind of, you know, stops that and says, God, yeah, we can't, we can't kill him. Now, we can beat the fool out of him. We can beat him up real good. And then, let's sell him into slavery. Boy, can you imagine what that must feel like? I would imagine there's some, boy, I hope not many, but I imagine there's some in this room that can't imagine. You know right what Joseph must have been feeling in that moment. Because you know what family abuse feels like. 
You know what it feels like to be rejected by somebody that's supposed to be your love, your support, uh, your connection. So, you know, that's not looking much like a wonderful plan, is it? Sold into slavery? Bought by a guy named Potiphar. And, you know, Joseph kind of lands on his feet. Just as Joseph rose up in the eyes of his father, well, now here he is in slavery and he rises up in the eyes of Potiphar. Folks, people could just see God on Joseph's life. The vice versa is also true. They could see Joseph was with God. And man, whatever Joseph put his hand to, it's like the hand of God was on it. It just, it just went well. Whatever Joseph touched went well. And so Potiphar just kind of turned everything over to him. His house did better when, when, when Joseph ran it. Well, Joseph not only caught the eye of Potiphar, but he also caught the eye of who? Potiphar's wife, yeah. Not quite for the same reason. She kind of had a hankering for Joseph. And she began to make a, a play for him and, and to hit on him, actually make sexual advances against him. And Joseph says, you know, I can't do this. Multiple times says, I, I can't do this. Th- that would not only dishonor my master, it would, it would dishonor God. You know, I guess when you're reading the Bible, you expect Bible characters to say, well, that would dishonor God. But really, you think about where Joseph is. I mean, couldn't we make a case? Joseph's in a place that he might say, you know, hey, what's honoring God done for me? Yeah, God said he had a wonderful plan for my life. It's pretty much stunk since then. You know, I mean, why not? Why, you know, I deserve a little fun. I deserve a little pleasure. But no, he says, you know what? I'm going to honor God. How did God reward that? Well, now Joseph has on his hands a woman scorned. She goes back and she accuses him of trying to rape her. And he's thrown into prison. You know, about this time, if, if Joseph is sitting on the couch of Dr. Phil, this is when he says, how's the wonderful plan of God working for you? How, how's this working out? I mean, really, you know, hey, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. And look how this thing looks like it's just spinning out of control. He's gone from family rejection and abuse to being sold into slavery. Now he's been falsely accused and imprisoned. And again... Joseph lands on his feet. The chief jailer, the warden, man, he can see God's on this guy's life, that, that Joseph is with God, and he turns the prison over. Who's heard of that? Who's heard of a warden giving a prisoner the keys and say, man, run the show for me? And, and Joseph does, faithfully, getting to know people. A couple guys in the, in the prison block there have some dreams. Well, you know, that's Joseph's specialty. And they come to him and they, he helps them out. He interprets them. And one of them is going to be getting out of prison. And he says, hey, when you get out, would you, would you remember me? Seems like a fair request. I mean, folks, you know, if you're in prison and you feel like God's using you, I'm guessing you still want to get out. You know, God, I'm all for you using me here in prison. You can use me outside of prison too if you want. And that's kind of what Joseph says. You know, I'd love to get out of this situation. Would you remember me? The guy gets out and forgets. How in the world, how does that happen? How do you forget? But that's exactly what happened. See, here's where I want to pull Joseph aside because, folks, Joseph never stopped believing God. 
Never stop believing that God had a plan, that God was working out a purpose. And that's not just something he confessed to when he went to church or was sitting in a class. Man, he lived it. He processed life with that belief. And he acted like somebody for whom God was bringing about a purpose. And I want to pull up, Joseph, how did you do it? Man, there's nothing working right in your life. And you think Joseph's having a bad month? That story I just told you, you think that took place over a month? Maybe a bad year. Have you had a bad year? You live long enough to have an entire year you'd like to just take out and throw away? Folks, Joseph wasn't having a bad year. It was 17 when God said, I got a wonderful plan for your life. He was 30 years old when he was sitting in jail knowing he'd been forgotten. 13 years of God's wonderful plan really stinking things up. And yet he held on. Oh, the guy who forgot him, he did actually finally remember. (laughs) You know, it makes you stop and think, what if he had remembered the day he got out? Would that have meant anything? Would it have produced anything? We don't know. But on the day he did remember, it meant everything. On the day he did remember, true story, folks. Joseph started the day sitting in prison. He ended the day prime minister to the Pharaoh. Second most powerful person in Egypt, which at that time in world history, Egypt was ruling the world. He went from prison to second most powerful person in the world. That's pretty good promotion, isn't it? A pretty good promotion. You know what? I'm guessing God was in control the entire time. What do you think? God was in control. Working events, working people, hedging in a path that would land in that spot. Right there. Now when I say God was in control, let's, let's think carefully about that statement. Because God is not the author of sin. God does not inspire, does, God does not encourage, God does not send somebody to use a sin because that sin is what he's going to use. In other words, God didn't send the brothers to beat him up. He didn't send the brothers, hey, my will for Joseph is that he be a slave so y'all go do that. That's not what happened. He didn't send the woman to sexually tempt him or to falsely accuse him or to imprison him. He didn't send that. But folks, you and I live in a fallen world, don't we? We live in a fallen world. We live in a place that is touched and affected by sins. And God promises that he can pick up any of that and use it to fulfill this purpose. And that's really what a lot of the message of Romans 8.28 is all about. Now, to hang on, to anchor to Romans 8.28, to use that verse to process every event, every person in your life, the good, the bad, and the ugly, you got to believe two things about God. you got to believe He's good, and you got to believe He's in control. You have to believe absolutely both at the same time. It can't be one or the other. If God's good, but He's not in control, well, then you just have a big teddy bear in the sky. You know, he wants wonderful things. He's warm fuzzy for you, but he can't really do anything. You can't believe he's in control, but not good, because if he's in control, but not good, you can't trust him. You don't know what he's doing. The good news for you and me is that Scripture affirms both, that God is absolutely good and absolutely in control. Let's review this real quickly. Look at the screen up here. Folks, there are a hundred verses I could put up here about God's goodness. I just chose three just to kind of get us rolling here. Psalm 25, good and upright is the Lord. Good is God's character. It's what he is. Good is something that you and I do. 
It's an event. It's in a moment. For God, it's his character. Everything about God is good. His thoughts are good. His motives are good. His actions are good. God has never moved in a way that is not ultimately defined by good. Now, I can't hardly do this math, but it's the truth. When God moves to bring his wrath, that is the most good thing he can do in that moment. When God brings his judgment, that's good. Now, you know, the reason you and I can't do the math on that is because when we're revealing wrath, when we're releasing our wrath, it's not good, is it? It's not usually good motives and it's not usually good results. But when God is being wrathful, He's being God. Good. In every way He works, He is good. Luke 18, no one is good except God alone. You say, now, you know, as soon as you read that, somebody comes to your mind, doesn't they? You say, no, wait a minute. I know somebody good. That person's good. That, that, that group over there is good. But who are we good compared to? Each other. Yeah, you can put humanity on a scale. And down here we got some that are, man, they're really, really good. And down here we got some that are, well, not so much. Yeah, so we'll compare ourselves to one another. But folks, compared to God, there's nobody good. Because there's nobody with the purity of God's goodness. There's nobody with the consistency and the faithfulness of God's goodness. No one is good like God. Every good thing, every perfect gift, every good moment. If you have a good second of emotion, that's a gift from God. Every good thing comes from Him. So Scripture absolutely affirms that God is good. It also affirms that He's in control. Now, I chose these verses very purposely. There's a lot of verses that communicate his control, but I want you to see how important it is to trust in his goodness because 1 Samuel 2 is a tough one. This is a tough one to hold on to. The Lord kills and makes alive. He brings down to Sheol and raises up. The Lord makes poor and rich. He brings low and he exalts. And you thought it was that boss that messed you over. You thought it was that coach that wouldn't give you a chance. Folks, this is a tough thing. You can start to pretty much blame God for everything with that verse, can't you? You know what 1 Samuel 2 says? God's in control of the status of your life. I mean, you can read that. You can be kind of angry, can't you? Hey, God, my status stinks. Hey, you're doing a pretty horrible job if you're... No, remember? That's why you've got to have faith in His goodness. While that status might not be good... That's where you've got to have that, a, that status in the hands of a good God who is working out His purpose in my life. Psalm 75, same thing. God is the judge. He puts down one and exalts another. This is a consistent message in the Bible. The Lord has made everything. Every job, every school, every person. He's made the good, the bad, the ugly. He's made the dog, the cat, the weather. He's made it all for a purpose. It all in some way is going to come together to weave out His purpose For your life and for my life. Joseph never stopped believing that. Joseph processed every decision in his life with that truth. Folks, we live in a fallen world. That fallen world is going to touch us. But God promises that by time that world touches, it only touches in a way that he can use. It only touches in a way that's going to serve the purpose that he has in our life. As we love him... And as we're fitting in to his purpose. Now that leads to the question, well, what is God's purpose? How how do we know that? I think another question is, well, 
man, I, my life is so messed up. Are you sure? Is there anything that can mess up God's purpose? Is there anything that can derail God's purpose? Let's look and see how Romans chapter 8 answers these questions. Look with me. Romans chapter 8, verse 28 this morning. If you don't have a Bible, we've got some in the chairs in front of you. Grab one or have somebody hand it to you and let's look at this together. Romans 8, verse 28. Romans 8, verse 28, it says, We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, those who are called according to His purpose. For those He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, so that He would be the firstborn among many brothers. And those He predestined, He also called. And those He called, He also justified. And those He justified, He also glorified. What then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He did not even spare His own Son, but offered Him up for us all. How will He not also with Him grant us everything? Who can bring an accusation against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is the one who died, but even more has been raised. He is also at the right hand of God and intercedes for us. Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Can affliction or anguish or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, because of you we are being put to death all day long. We are counted as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than victorious through Him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any created thing will have the power to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I love those first two words in that verse. We know. We know. Now the question is, do we know? (laughs) You know, and I'm confident a significant number of us in here today probably would say, man, I'm not sure I know. I'm not sure I have that kind of faith. I'm not sure I have that kind of security or confidence that absolutely knows God is at work. That, That God is bringing the pieces of life together. You know, I believe what we see in Genesis 37 to 50, I believe Joseph would say, you know what? What I know about God's purpose is more real to me than the four prison walls I'm in. What I know about God and what He's doing in my life is more real to me than the slavery that I'm in. In other words, what He's saying is, I'm going to respond to life, I'm going to define my life more by what I know about God than even the physical circumstances that surround my life. That's what it means there when it says, we know, we're not all there. But folks, that's where God wants us to be. That's where He wants to lead us to that kind of confidence, that kind of faith that we can say, no matter what went on in the last seven days, what's going on in the next seven days, no matter what's gone on in the last seven years or what's coming in the next seven years, I know God's working it all together. That word there, working it all together, is the word weaving. God is weaving the pieces of life together to bring out the purpose To fulfill the purpose. Folks, you have a great weaver in your life. Now the question might be, well, what is that purpose that God is weaving? He used that person, that situation. He used my history. He used my today. He's going to use my future. He's weaving all that to do 
To do what? What's the purpose? Well, there can be a specific earthly purpose, just like we saw with Joseph. God was weaving, God was molding and shaping it, building this path so that as Joseph walked it, he landed in that position of leadership and influence. God's got a specific purpose in your life. God's using your life in this world. But then there's also, as we see in verse 29 and 30, there is an overarching eternal purpose and folks, the big thing that God is doing is not what position you land in and what it does here or what it does there. The big purpose is that when God is done weaving, you're going to look just like His Son, Jesus Christ. God, you are going to look just like Jesus when God is done. And God doesn't want us to get the idea that He's standing here at the beginning of the week saying, okay, let's see what comes this week. Boy, I hope I can use it. Boy, I hope I can make this work. I hope I can blend it all together. Folks, what is being described for us in 29 to 30 is the detail and the eternity of this story that God is working out in your life. God's story for you, God's purpose for you began with foreknowledge. That word knowledge there is not book knowledge. It's not knowledge you get from reading something, studying something. Now I've got some facts and some figures and some dates. It's not that kind of knowledge. There's another word for knowledge in the Greek language. It's the one used here. And it's a knowledge that comes by experience. It's a knowledge that comes by intimacy. It's a knowledge that comes by living together. And it was with that kind of knowledge that God said, I knew you. I knew you beforehand. And with that knowledge, as he looked into your life, he chose you. He chose you beforehand. He predetermined in your story, in your life, when it's done, you're going to look like Jesus. He picked you beforehand for that. When we say beforehand, we're not talking about before he found you on the earth. We're not talking about before you were born. We're talking about before the world was created. And then with that foreknowledge and predestination, then he moves into your life. You're now on the planet with a calling. And that calling is basically the call of his grace. His grace begins to move and work all throughout your life. And what his grace is doing is it's bringing sight to your eyes and hearing to your ears because you're born deaf to God. You're born blind to God. That grace is moving and working to soften your heart because your heart is dead to God. And that grace is working in all of the things in life to bring you finally to that place of justification. That place where your eyes are open, your ears hear, your heart is ready, and you say, I want Jesus Christ to be my Savior and Lord. At that moment, you're justified. You're declared holy. The blood of Jesus Christ washes you clean. And now that you're declared holy, you can begin to live holy. This is where you've taken your sharp right turn toward the will of God, the purpose of God in your life. This is where you're on a bead to glorification. Glorification. You know, when we say somebody's being glorified, we think of them being exalted and, and praised, right? That's not what this means here. Glorification is that moment that you finally step into the victorious purpose of your life. That it comes to its completion. It happens right on the other side of death. As you walk through those doors, the final pieces of weaving, the knots are tied, it's cleaned up, and my gosh, you look like Jesus Christ. And that's how you go before God to be rewarded. 
That's how you go before God to face the rest of eternity looking just like Jesus. What a great purpose that God has. And He's not just kind of making it up as He goes. Folks, God's story for you, God's purpose for you, God's salvation of you, it began before you were even born, before the world was created, and it is victoriously going to come to its conclusion. It will get there in eternity future. Notice in that phraseology that nobody drops out of the process. Verses 29 and 30, for me, are a great proof of eternal security. That you cannot lose your salvation. Another word for salvation is justification. If somebody could genuinely be saved, if they could genuinely be justified and then lose that, then this verse is written wrong. Because notice what it says. Those he called, he justified. Who? The ones that were called. How many of them? Well, it reads that all of them. Those he justified, he also glorified. Now, if even one person could be saved, if even one person could be justified and then lose it, then it can't read like this. It would have to read like this. Those he justified, many were glorified. Those he justified, a whole lot of them. Uh, Those he justified, some of them. Put whatever words you want in front of it, but you cannot imply that all that are justified are also glorified if people could lose that along the way. No, all that are justified are also glorified. So nowhere along the process does God lose anybody. Well, that kind of leads to the next question, which I think I've already answered. But let's go ahead and ask it. Can the process get messed up? I mean, you know, let's think about it, folks. It's wonderful, warm, fuzzy feeling to think that God is up there working with the pieces of our life, building this story. He's got a purpose for us. But let's be honest, and I'm sure it had to be this way for Joseph. Every now and then we're going to look up and we're going to say, are we sure somebody's in control? Are we sure this is what's supposed to happen? Maybe, maybe my story got wrecked somewhere. I think a, a page of my story got messed up. Can the process get derailed? Man, look at verse 38 and 39. To me, two of the most beautiful verses in all the life, in all the Scripture. For I am persuaded. I am confident. I have zero doubt. I have no insecurities, no anxieties. I am absolutely certain that neither death nor life. Now, that kind of covers it all, doesn't it? Neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers. The word for rulers there would imply the bad angels. So in other words, what it's saying is that good angels can't mess it up, bad angels can't mess it up. Nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nothing in the heavens, nor depth, nothing in hell, nor any created thing. Now folks, what is there that's not created? Everything other than God is created. No created thing will have the power to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Absolutely nothing can derail God's purpose for my life that is driven by love. Isn't it important to know that love is driving this, folks? I mean, love, I mean, God could have a purpose for your life. It might be to destroy you, right? God could have a purpose in your life. That'd be to make fun of you. My life is just to make you the laughing stock of everybody in the planet. And when we step into eternity, we'll spend all eternity laughing at you. No, it's driven by love. 
The story God is writing in your life, the purpose that God has for your life is driven by love and nothing will undo that love. Do you notice none of that love is anchored to my well-being? None of that love is based on how good I do this or how good I do that or how many rules I pay, obey. It's all anchored in Jesus Christ and what he did for me on the cross. Now, you know, folks, a huge question when we talk about belief in God is what about evil? Isn't it? I mean, I'm sure somebody out, you've been telling somebody about your relationship with the Lord. You've been telling about the church you go to and what you're doing. And, you know, somebody, if you're talking to somebody that's kind of an antagonist to that, a skeptic, they always want to know, usually one of the first two or three questions, what about evil? If God's so good, why is there evil? If God's all powerful, why is there evil? Now, the message today, the verse today is not an answer to that. Uh, there are other passages that are, but that's not, that's not what today. Today was not answering why there is evil, why God allowed that, how, how that's there for this period of time. But what this message today does tell us is that while there is evil in this world, it always operates under the umbrella of God's control. It always operates under the umbrella of God's purpose. There's no evil getting outside of His boundaries. No evil getting outside of his grasp. It will fit his purpose. Does that mean we always understand it, see it, and like it? Absolutely not. And you know what? God's, folks, God's very clear, very fair. He's right, very upfront. And he tells us right up front, listen, he says this in Isaiah, I promise you, I'm going to work in ways you're not going to get it. Uh, you're going to scratch your head and you're not going to get it. You're never going to get it. You're not going to like it. But I am good. Trust in that. When you don't see the good work, when you don't understand the good work, you just trust in me. You see, folks, what Romans 8.28 does is it gives us the ability to relax. I don't have to figure out that person. I don't have to figure out that situation. I don't have to figure out why that happened. All i got to do is process it through Romans 8.28. I don't like it. I don't understand it. It hurt. It's evil. But there is a great weaver in my life. And that is not outside of my weaver's control. That's not outside of my weaver's goodness. And he is going to weave that into my life. Now, he does put some conditions there, doesn't he? As we love him, and as we're fitting in, living life in accord with his purpose. Do you love God? I mean, we're sitting in church, so the you know, answer's pretty natural and obvious. Oh yeah, Absolutely. Let me ask you this though, when you say, yes, I love God, do you define that love by your definition of love? Or do you define it by the biblical definition of love? The biblical definition of loving God is obeying His commands. The biblical definition of love is pursuing Christ with all you have, with all you are. You throw yourself headlong fully onto the person of Jesus Christ to give your life knowing, loving, and serving, and becoming like Him. That's what love is. Are you fitting in according with His purpose? Are you giving your life? One thing, I I look at every event, I look at every relationship. How can I know Christ there? How can I experience Christ there? How can I become like Jesus in that moment, in that situation, with that relationship? Folks, you're, you're thinking about very little other than God's purpose for you and how you're working in that. So I have to ask myself, If I never once thought the words, the purpose of God in the last week, then how is it that I'm living according to His purpose? 
If I'm living big chunks of my life and never processing that, defining that, looking for God's purpose in that, then how can I say I'm living according to God's purpose? Folks, you're not going to live in God's purpose on accident. Does that make sense? You're not going to show up at your funeral and say, well, look at that. There's 50 years I lived right in accord with God's purpose, wasn't even trying. That's not how it works. You and I fit in with God's purpose on, go ahead and say it, it won't kill you, purpose. Yeah, we live in God's purpose on purpose. That means every day this week, I'm thinking about it. Every situation, every relationship, I'm thinking about it. That's how I bring my life in line with God's purpose. And with that there, my life is anchored to the, I think, one of the greatest truths in all of Scripture. It doesn't matter what touches me this week. It's not outside of God being able to fill His purpose for me. And that purpose is good. You know, I started a couple weeks ago. I said, I, I believe Romans chapter 8 is one of the greatest chapters in all the Bible. I would call Romans chapter 8 survival 101. I honestly, I don't know how people survive without the truths taught in Romans chapter 8. I don't know how you go out and live in that world. Just thinking that it's one random vicious hit after another. I don't, I don't know if I've got a smooth river in front of me this week or I'm just going to get beat to death against the boulders. Wake up tomorrow and find out. Man, what a horrible way to live. What, what a horrible way to live, to think that life is nothing more than one random event after another with a lot of them looking kind of bad and evil. Romans chapter 8 offers us something so much more, something so beautiful. But this great chapter, with all it offers, begins and ends the same way. Romans chapter 8, verse 1, there is no condemnation for those who are, two great words, in Christ Romans chapter 8, verse 39, the last verse of this great and long chapter says, nothing shall separate us from the love of God for those who are, two words, in Christ. Are you in Christ this morning? It's a yes, no question. It's not kind of, sort of. It's not, I'm on the way. I think so. I hope so. I'm not sure. It's either, yes, I can, because look at the words Romans wants us to have. With certainty, with confidence, I am persuaded, I know. Do you know that you're in Christ today? If you don't know, folks, as we come to a time we're about to conclude our service, we conclude it with an invitation. That invitation is to give you the opportunity to get in Christ and to get all of the truths of Romans chapter 8 hooked up in your life, engaged in moving and working in your life. Are you in Christ if you're not, when our congregation stands and sings, there's going to be pastors down here at the front. Would you come forward and just say, hey man, I want to be in Christ. Let us pray with you, talk with you just for a moment about how that can happen in your life. You know, if you're in Christ, Christ says His body is what? The church. If you're in Christ, you're dynamically, concretely, formally connected to His people relating, kind of like we talked about a moment ago, moving into community, moving to the center, not trying to stay on the outside, not trying to stay unknown, but moving into the body of Christ. Maybe you're here today and you're not, not really connected to a church, not really a part of a church. And you believe that God's calling you to be a member here at Colonial Heights Baptist. Just come forward and say, hey, I'm in Christ, but I want to be in this church. I want to be a member here. And we'll help you with that decision also. Maybe you're in Christ, maybe you're in His church, 
Maybe when we stand and sing, it'll just be a time of great worship and praise for all that God has given you, for the truth, the hope, that no matter what went on this week, no matter what's coming in the week ahead, you've got a great weaver. Maybe this will be just a time of prayer where you kind of rededicate, recommit yourself to living life according to God's purpose. Maybe you'll stand there. Maybe you're right in the middle. You know what? People will slide out of the way so you can come down to these altars and just bow and pray. Hey God, I really want to more concretely, more on purpose, start living in accord with your will. Just dedicate this moment to Him. People would be happy to slide out of your way if you need to come forward and fit into God's purpose for your life. As we stand and as we sing, you come.